Hello and welcome to the next episode of our Tilney Investment Podcast. I'm Caroline Connell, Director of Investment Management in Tilney's London office, and I'm talking to, with Ben Seeger Scott, our Head of Multi-Asset Funds, and we're, we're having a general conversation about what's happening within the economy um, and inflection of how we're managing portfolios. We're recording the podcast from our homes today on Tuesday, the 25th of August, which is in fact Ben Seeger Scott's birthday. Before we begin, here is some important information. Nothing in this recording is intended to constitute advice or recommendation, and you should not take any investment decision based on its content. Any opinions expressed may be subject to change without notice. Remember that the value of investments can fall as well as rise, and that you may not get back the amount you originally invested. Past performance should not be considered a reliable indicator of future returns. Different funds carry varying levels of risk depending on the geographical region and industry sector in which they invest. You should make yourself aware of these specific risks prior to investing. If you are unsure about the suitability of an investment, or if you need advice on your specific requirements, you should seek professional financial advice. So Ben, are you going to provide us with a bit of a market update what's happened over the summer period? Thanks, Caroline. Um, yeah, I, I think that it's certainly in terms of markets, what we've seen is uh, a little bit of drift. And actually, in the last month or so, so, you know, as, as we record this late August, we've seen equity markets perk up a little bit. But that's after they're a little bit softer earlier. But the theme we've really seen, certainly June, July uh, and August, has been a bit of a pausing for breath after that very sharp move at the start of the year. And what we're now starting to see, I think, is markets take a little bit more stock. Um, this sense that central banks and governments are just going to continue pouring money in forever in unlimited amounts. And the idea that, that might not be the case is really starting uh, to, to feed in. And that's caused markets really to, to pause. The one exception has been US mega cap tech that does continue to surge ahead. Obviously, in the last few days, we've seen some of the US markets hitting fresh all-time highs and, and the likes of Apple hitting two trillion. Um, obviously, there's, there's been a lot of momentum there. And those, those stocks in particular have been what dragged up the whole US market. So this rally in the US is actually, is actually pretty narrow. And the one thing that is worth highlighting, the UK does continue uh, to lag in terms of, of market performance. But the other big theme we've seen more recently some of the weakness in terms of the US dollar. Uh, the US dollar is, is the benchmark currency for a lot of global indices. And obviously over that period, we've seen the US uh, dollar come off around 5% from the beginning of July uh, to now, and that impacts the, the value of overseas investments. Um, and we've also seen government bonds start to ease up a little bit as well. So after that very rapid rebound in Q2, markets have continued to, to drift higher but I think there's a, a lot more pausing now and the market is waiting very much to see both what ha happens in economic terms as we start to have this reckoning that we've talked about previously, but also I think there's a lot of expectation uh, around vaccine trials and treatment trials for COVID-19 and how that's then uh, distributed across the world. So, so markets seem to be in a wait and see mode and there's finely balanced risks both on the upside and downside, I'd say. Oh, thanks, Ben. I mean, clearly the US has been a kind of standout performer um, over the recent period. Um, on the flip side of that, the most recent UK GDP data saw a record fall of over 20%. Uh, do you see that as a short-term trend or have you got thoughts on that? Uh, yeah, absolutely 
short term. The UK GDP data was awful, frankly, but it was it was about as awful as expected. To to be fair, and the thing to always remember the the two things I'd say to to consider with markets is firstly you've got to think about what's already priced in, uh, and yes, it was a bad reading, but because it was already expected, it didn't actually have a big impact on markets. And secondly, and it also relates partly, I think, to the US point, markets are forward looking. So rather than, than seeing the bad news now, uh, the counter argument is that leaves the UK and other markets poised for, for more recovery potential. And that's, I think, what we see in the, the GDP data. Um, so the UK had the worst numbers uh, across Europe and in fact, in parts of most of the world, um, down, as you say, around 20 percent in, in Q2. But and part of that probably comes down to the UK uh, not having the best response to, to the pandemic. The lockdown is considered to have been introduced a little bit late and extended for a longer period than elsewhere. But I, I think another aspect is that the UK, uh, both in terms of its investment markets and in terms of its economy, is, is much more cyclically geared. It is considered a risk on markets, uh, along with the likes of Japan, to some extent, Europe. So when the global economy slows down, the UK tends to get hit a little bit more. We've got a lot of financials, a lot of uh, mining, oil and gas exploration, a lot of services. So it means the market, the, the economy tends to suffer more in a downturn, but it does mean on the, the upside, the recovery potential also tends to be that much more geared. And whilst it has been worse, perhaps than the numbers we've seen, say in the US uh, and the Eurozone and even Japan, Japan had some more bad numbers, but Japan's now had, it's the third quarter in Q2 uh, of negative growth. But compared to the rest of the world, I think the recovery potential is, is equally that much higher. And actually, if you look at some of the forecasts, that does predict a stronger bounce after that, that slightly worse fall. Thank you. I mean, clearly, I mean, the US has hit all time highs and the UK still sits, you know, 18% down from where it was before the pandemic. Um, so, you know, we'll watch closely as to what happens. Um, I think one of the topics you talked about previously on, on the podcast was about inflation. And our, our view has been, our central view is that we're likely to see a return to inflation, likely in the, the medium term. But there is an argument about deflation, certainly in the very short term. H have you got a view on that? Uh uh, absolutely. And I think you're exactly right to highlight inflation. In fact, it is very topical because in the last month we've had the July um, inflation data and that's surprised to the upside, both uh, in the UK and in the US. In the UK, we're expecting 0.6% year on year. That's the CPI. Uh, and actually, we got 1%, which is quite a big jump. And you've got to look at the details of, of inflation. Inflation, of course, is based on a basket of goods. And what we have seen, the reason for actually the, the tick up was somewhat anomalous. A lot of it was down to cars, particularly used cars and clothing. Simple reason for clothing is because it's based on prices rather than volumes. We haven't had a huge raft of, of summer sales this year, because all the shops are shut. So those typical discounts haven't come through and that's led to a little bit of an, of an uptick. So I think that is going to be a bit of a um, blip on the upside. Conversely, uh, there's an expectation that next month, so uh, that the inflation figures for August, might see quite a sharp drop. Some are even saying we might have a one-month de outright deflationary figure, and that's not something to worry about. That's largely an anomaly. All of that comes about because of the government actions. So the, the VAT cuts, 
VAT is incorporated in, in prices. The VAT cut and the uh, eat out to help out scheme, those discounts come through in, in prices um, and just that one off shock blip could see that the, the reading temporarily dip into slightly negative territory and if not certainly a very low level. But all of those are, are largely technical factors driven by uh, the basket of goods. I think more broadly, longer term, for the reasons we, we talked about uh, previously, we do think inflation and expectations will head up. But in the very short term, uh, when I think you've got unemployment coming through or a you know, potential wave of, of further unemployment, um, and that not only impacts those that, that lose their jobs and therefore don't spend as much, it also impacts the, the broader economy because even those in jobs will start to feel a bit less secure and that drives people to save rather than spend. And if you're not spending, you're not buying goods. Uh, so I, I think it's going to be a little while before I expect us to have sustained inflation. Um, but inflation, it, it can be quite insidious and it can creep up on you. So it, it's definitely a watching brief. And I think we fully expect deflationary pressures in the short term. So I don't want anyone thinking we're saying inflation's coming through and every month that we have deflation that we're reconsidering our inflationary outlook. Of course, we revisit it. If we saw anything change fundamentally in our outlook. But we do expect in the short term, it will manifest in deflation, but markets price in longer term inflation. And that's where we think uh, markets are likely to move. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, whilst you're chatting then, you just talked about some of the kind of government support. Um, and obviously we had the furlough scheme and it's already, you know, two thirds of those um, people on the scheme have returned to work. You talked about unemployment um, and also, you know, the, there's the potential that with the businesses not being supported as much through the government, that we could see more companies default. Um, you know, it's something we've talked about for a long time about potential uptick on company defaults. And I just wondered, what's your view when we're investing into bonds in kind of central portfolios? What's our outlook for bonds if we were to see more government, um, or sorry, corporate debt default? Um, certainly, de well, defaults are, are not, uh, not something that anyone wants to see directly, but actually they are part of this, of this creative destruction that you get and obviously very painful for those directly involved but that business defaults business failures uh is negative on, on in one sense but it's positive in another in that it releases some of that capital that is caught up in a business that's unlikely to, to be able to, to make a proper go of it and it can be recycled into a more productive uh, asset base and i think from the point of view of corporate bonds, most of the bonds that we invest in are considered investment grade. Um, it's the, the area, high, you call it high yield bonds if you invest in it, junk bonds if you don't invest in it. And I think that's the area. Those tend to be the more leveraged companies, those that, that carry quite a lot more risk and are more exposed when you do have this, this downdraft. We have very little exposure to any high yield bonds at all in the portfolios. Um, most of it is an investment grade and their default rates are likely to, to remain low. A lot of the, the high street names that you see, those companies that, that get into trouble uh, and, go, uh, and, and go into administration, most of those bonds, you know, uh, th there's a lot of work that goes into assessing these bonds by, by the managers we use. So those are already quite fragile and might not survive a recession, a downturn that we've had, would already have been rated. Uh, at the lower end. So I think overall we are, we're, we're less exposed. 
but also you've got to consider where, when you look at corporate bonds there are two aspects to the yield that we get the return part is just general interest rates set by the government and then obviously there's, there's the credit spread on top and that's the the compensation you're ultimately paid for taking the risk that a uh, company goes uh, goes bust and that is price already price set to price in uh, a certain level of risk so the re reason we're seeing slightly higher yields at the moment than we did do sort of previously um, is because there's this recognition that, that some defaults could come through so I think that there are vulnerabilities there um, I actually think the greater risk probably comes from um, from the outlook in terms of drug trials and treatments and I think there the risk of good outcomes and bad outcomes are both ironically uh, not so positive for investment grade or bonds generally so I think you do need to be very selective um, so certainly defaults are a risk but I don't think they're a huge risk because they are largely expected they've been seen coming for a while we've all known that this that this reckoning is coming so that's largely already in the price but I think it does highlight the need to use good active managers that can look at those individual bonds and make an assessment rather than taking a, a sort of broader approach or, or trying to do it yourself. We've just talked about debt and one of, one of the areas that's quite interesting at the moment um, is actually looking at central banks which have obviously supported the economy during the pandemic with further stimulus um, but will this continue and how will the surging debt on central banks balance sheets be managed? Um, the central banks are key players at the moment they're doing a lot of the work to, to keep markets supported uh, and they're basically printing money, QE programs are in effect, print money, buy assets, and that helps support uh, the, the, not only asset prices, but it also ensures uh, good functioning of, of, of those investment markets. Um, I think there are, there are two different factors to that question to consider. Um, I, I think central banks have signaled very clearly they're going to support this recovery uh, and they're in it for the long haul. And that likely means that interest rates will remain low, uh, and central banks will remain supportive and accommodative for the long term. That actually feeds into our the inflation view that we were just talking about, because we take that signal to mean they'll keep interest rates low even as inflation picks up. I think they've had so long of being below their, their inflation targets, they're, they're willing to let inflation run a little bit higher. And the code phrases that we're using, I think last year we've, we've talked about this before, but central banks do try and do a lot of their work, certainly in terms of confidence, through their statements and through the way they, they, they talk to the public. So we look for these code phrases, this powerful rhetoric, and they'll talk about the symmetry, the inflation target. A symmetrical inflation target is code for, we'll let inflation run hot because it's been below target for so long. So I think that means that, that they'll tolerate inflation to keep interest rates low, they'll remain supportive. But on the flip side, I don't think that supportive policy means that they're just going to keep on putting more and more money in any time there's a small wobble. And I think what we've seen in the last couple of weeks, certainly that the rhetoric coming out of the Federal Reserve and the ECB, the European Central Bank, has been plenty of accommodation there. We don't think we need to do any more at the moment. And some people in the market were hoping any small wobble, they'll just say, here's more money, prop it up further. I think central banks and to some extent governments are starting to say, okay, we've, got, we've done a lot. We put in a huge amount in the whatever it takes phase, the early almost emergency phase of the, of the pandemic. Now they're moving more 
in, into the wait and see. And I think that could provide a, a source of disappointment. But it is going to be an area to watch carefully. Uh, central banks have, have signalled they're willing to act if needed. So I think it's telling that they're not doing anything at the moment. But I think if we did see a sharp market fall, they would likely be prompted um, to perhaps, and this is the theme we've seen uh, time and time again in the post-global financial crisis period, they'll make soothing noises. They'll say, we don't necessarily need to do too much at the moment, but they can be ready to act very quickly. And I think central banks can act more quickly in this regard than, than governments can. So I think that would definitely factor into our thinking. If we did see any weaknesses in markets, we could potentially expect uh, a central bank response. That's really helpful. Thank you, Ben. Um, and, and lastly, you just you touched on governments, but one of the things that that's coming back in kind of through news stories is um, the Brexit neg negotiations. Slightly seeing a few more articles about that in the, the news. Uh, there's only just over four months to go. Are we taking taking a view of of what might happen around Brexit within portfolios? Well, it, it's certainly something we're watching closely, and you know, as is always the case, we we talk with clients and the press and anyone that asks, you tend to talk on the most topical things and the issues at, at the, the top of the agenda. But there's a long list of things that we're monitoring in the background, elements that could flare up and become major issues. And Brexit is certainly one of those. Um, there, there's all sorts of different pressures uh, in play. And it's something that, that it is worth monitoring. Um, against that, one of the factors that we've seen in pretty much every negotiation it's always about brinkmanship and you know we're, we're obviously apolitical on this podcast and at Tilney um, but I would say you know that some, some of the bits that have been coming out of government are entirely right that, that there's little point uh, it seems in giving yourself a nice long negotiation period because it's always down to the last couple of weeks late night uh, late night meetings where uh, deals finally get bashed out at the 11th hour and we need I think we're, we're waiting for some of that imminent time pressure before we get real movement um, but against that globally geopolitics are particularly interesting there's lots of different pressures uh, obviously there are now challenges between the US and China and that's changed uh, on several fronts in, in recent weeks we've seen or, or months we've seen a, a much uh, more significant hardening uh, of uh, Western governments against China, particularly after it deployed its new security law, um, a reinvigoration of the US-China trade, trade tensions, even though they've said that the phase one deal is largely going ahead, there's clearly a much more strategic element going on there. And when you start to have those tussles, I think the European Union and the UK are both looking for some kind of deal, they need some sort of face-saving effort and they do need to work with each other and I think that's recognised on both sides. It's been interesting if you look past some of the, the more aggressive rhetoric, whereas before we saw statements along the lines of there's no movement, nothing's happening, we're, we're just too far apart. If you read between the lines, even at this stage, both sides of the negotiation are, are signalling there's some wiggle room. Um, so it is one to watch. It is a key risk because as we said pretty much at the top, uh, of this podcast, that the UK is very exposed to the global uh, economy, so it's cyclically sensitive. Um, so a good outcome in terms of Brexit negotiations could be a very strong catalyst for the UK market and the UK economy. Against that, if we do see a souring, that could present a bit, a bit more of a headwind. 
So at the moment, I'd say on the balance of probabilities, it's pretty finely balanced. So I take uh, a relatively neutral stance, but that's not a neutral stance because we don't have a view because the positive and negatives uh, are broadly similar uh, in magnitude. What I would say though, uh, you know, the European Union, uh, that they're masters of kicking the can down the road. So my, my baseline expectation is there'll be some sort of deal, but it'll probably be some kind of muddle through deal rather than uh, you know, a full glorious everything checked and signed at the 11th hour. But you know, that, that's what we've come to expect. And I think if you look at markets, the discount that we've seen both in the UK and Europe, um, largely since 2016, really does factor in that sort of muddled through scenario. So it's something to watch closely. Um, and th there's no clearly obvious binary outcome either way. So it's one that we, we're carefully watching as we try and uh, manage through and navigate that difficult investment outlook. Great. Well, we've definitely seen that can being kicked uh, further along in the past. So I'm, I'm sure we'll see it being kicked again. Um, but thank you, Ben, for your comments. That's really helpful. Uh, here at Tony, we'll be back again soon with a new episode of podcast. If you have any feedback, questions or comments, please send us an email at podcast at tilney.co.uk. And thanks for listening.